I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. For more information about the show, go to wit.fm. That's wit.fm. MasterCard is an American multinational financial services corporation founded in 1979. Dana Lorberg, executive vice president of operations and technology at MasterCard, joined the company in 1987 and was part of a team that programmed and designed some of the early systems at MasterCard. We talked about how software was developed throughout her career and about examples of technical constraints that influenced how software was architected with performance and availability in mind. Dana also talked about leadership, management, and building a good working culture. Before we continue with the interview, I wanted to tell you about our new podcast called 5-Minute Mentor. In this podcast, you'll hear advice from prominent engineers, entrepreneurs, artists, and more in five minutes or less. Check it out by going to mentors.fm or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts by searching 5-Minute Mentor. Thank you. Dana Lorberg, Executive Vice President of Operations and Technology at MasterCard, is joining us. Dana, welcome to the show. Thank you. Very excited to be here. Thank you. And like I mentioned, you work at MasterCard, and MasterCard is an American multinational financial services corporation founded in 1979, to be exact. Can you talk about some of the things MasterCard does, some of the solutions. Yes, MasterCard is really a global company and in fact we're really a technology company. People might think we're a credit card company or a cards-based company, but we really are in technology making uh, commerce happen all over the world. So, it's a different MasterCard than most people might think we are. And you joined back in 1987 and a lot has changed since then, you know, especially in terms of technology, but I wanted to get an idea of how things were in your early days at MasterCard. Yes, it has been 32 years now that I've been at MasterCard. I don't know where the time has gone, and I'll tell you, it's been a real exciting time. I'm an original woman in technology. I started my job at MasterCard as a software engineer 32 years ago, and it was really a very exciting time then. It was as exciting of a time then as it is now for us at MasterCard and in the world, really. So a little bit about the old days of MasterCard. We were much smaller. We were really a small, about 200 people in technology at MasterCard, something such as that. We were probably under 1,000 people when I started back in 1987, and largely a US-based company, we really were becoming as an organization. We were all working on our disciplines, as I like to say, the franchise people, because you know, MasterCard is a franchise, just like McDonald's, and our job as a franchise is to really make it a consistent offering 
around the world. Uh, just like McDonald's wants the french fries to taste the same and all the potatoes come from Idaho or whatever their, their requirements are as a franchise, yeah. MasterCard really needs to be known and we worked really hard to make sure it looks the same, it feels the same, it acts the same everywhere in the world. Consumers know their product's going to work, merchants know they're going to get paid, and it's going to work consistently everywhere in the world. So that's what we were doing. We were all creating the MasterCard that we know and love today. The franchise people were working on that. The salespeople were uh, working on acceptance and having merchants be able to accept the product. And the technology people, which of which I was part of, mm -hmm. were what I like to say, wiring the world. Our job was to create this global payments network, the real technology aspects of the network, all over the world. So we were busy working on that, creating the software, creating the technology, and creating the physical asset of the network that is wired now in 210 countries and territories and works seamlessly, safely, simply, rapidly all over the world. So it was really fun to be an engineer when we were really starting. Yeah, what kind of tools and technologies were you using at the time? Well, you know, we actually were doing programming, you know. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember the language, the programming languages or? I do remember, okay. yes. We, it was COBOL mostly. Oh, we, awesome. We, yeah, yeah, we were using COBOL. We even used Assembler. You know, interesting, we have a what we call a distributed network, a distributed architecture, where we actually put the software and the intelligence of the network at the edge of the network. We have over 3,000 different physical computers all over the world, and our software uh, sits on those networks. And back in the day, speed, of course, was extremely important to us. You know, you can't sit there forever waiting on on the sale to happen. And we liked to use Assembler back then because Assembler was really a fast uh, software language and we would pack all the data and have very small uh, packets of, of data so that we could increase the speed. And the distributed architecture that we leveraged where we were uh, shifting the code out to the edge, which we still do today, is really an architecture that is known for speed and gives you a lot of speed and gives you a lot of resiliency. So we preferred that architecture and we still continue to have that architecture today. So is that system still being used today or portions of it? Oh, sure. Yeah, the we trademarked the network itself. It was called BankNet. It's still called BankNet today. That architecture foundation, that principle of having the distributed code continues today. Of course, the code has been rewritten. The technology has been upgraded. There's been lots of advancements that we've taken advantage of since that time. But yeah, we still continue to have the same premise. We were writing this software and the, these capabilities before people like Cisco were even a company. We had really brilliant engineers that started our company to create things like load balancing and and uh, just all the different things that we needed to do for speed and resiliency and retry logic and uh, you know all the things that uh, good engineers do today. Yeah, that's awesome. And the reason I ask is because I know that, you know, some banks are still, you know, have their systems in COBOL and they need people that know this language to help, you know, work on the systems, but it's not common anymore, right? It's, yeah, it's not as common as it used to be, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. But there's still a market for that because there, there's all these legacy systems that are very durable. There's quite a bit of uh, software, I think, in the world that's still written on COBOL. One of my friends used to say, you know, America was born on COBOL <laughs> or was built on COBOL. Of course, that's changed uh, nowadays. Now it's C++ or Java or Python or, you know, a lot of the different uh, languages now, but... Um, 
Yeah, that's great. And now I want to talk about, you know, the idea behind the global global payments network, which is like you said, since the early days, you've been working on on building this and keeping in mind the franchise model. Can you talk a bit about what the global payment network is or what it entails? Yeah, sure. Well, MasterCard as a company, you know, our job is to really make commerce happen. Mm -hmm. uh, technology is our product. Our product is technology. We, of course, have a cards. Uh, people know us as a cards-based business. It's digital now. It's on your phones. The form factor is certainly changed. But I'd say the core of our business really is uh, grounded in that global payments network that we created back 30 plus years ago and continue to enjoy today. We have with great speed, with great safety, great security, and really consumers want a frictionless experience. You know, it's all about experiences and making it easy and simple and safe. But uh, its purpose in life is to really, at the point of sale, whether the point of sale is uh, sitting at your house on your computer shopping online, on your mobile phone, or the physical point of sale, the grocery store, the gas station, wherever it is, uh, the ATM even, to make that transaction happen from end to end. So when you swipe your card, swap, swipe, tap, dip, however, you know, key, enter, however you're going to get the credentials loaded in from that point, all the way through the decisioning, we enable that transaction to ride our rails. It gets our, we're wired and connected in 210 countries and territories, as I said. The only place we're not wired up now is Mars, and we're working on that. So it traverses this network. It gets to the, the consumer's bank for decisioning. Is this, does this person have enough credit line? Do they have enough money in their account, in the prepaid card, whatever the particular payment form is? And uh, we return that back to the merchant so that they can, you know, continue commerce and make that easy. And then, of course, we make sure that uh, the clearing happens. The transaction is able to be posted to the consumer statement, and we move the money every day. Mm -hmm. So we're moving something like uh, $20 billion a day through our payment product, and we do that flawlessly every day because that's important to people. Yes, and I want to talk about that because you're saying the end-to-end -end transaction is very important, and you're in over 200 countries operating at a global scale, what are some of the things you need to think about when you are operating at a global scale, like some factors that you may not consider until you start going global? Well, you know what we like to say at MasterCard is we're not just building software. Mm -hmm. We're building an operation. You need to think about what we call the run first. Yeah. How is this software is this product going to operate in the environment? And I think that's something that I would tell young engineers. It's really important to think about the operation that you're building. Engineers, product people, uh, marketing people, salespeople, whatever in, in your company. That's extremely important in an engineering discipline to think about the run stage. You're not going to do scale if you don't think about that. And you need to use really good engineering principles. It needs to run anywhere. It needs to run safely. It needs to be secure and protected. It needs to be resilient. Two things besides death and taxes are always going to happen in a technology world. Infrastructure is going to fail, and humans are going to make mistakes. So you need to make sure it's resilient, it's automated, you know, it's, uh, you deal with the inevitable infrastructure 
that's going to fail, hard drive that's going to crash, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So those are important disciplines. And I think that's important for all of us to keep in mind whenever we're building operation. Build for the run, is what we say. Yes, definitely. So I want to talk a bit more about, you know, your trajectory in the tech industry. What have been some of the highlights or main changes that you've seen in terms of how software is developed throughout your time in the industry? Like things that you were like, oh, we used to do this and now, you know, it's totally different. Well, sometimes I say what's old is new again. Uh, I think a lot of the engineering disciplines, a lot of engineering principles that we should think about is always ever present. Maybe the technology has changed. Maybe the language has changed. Maybe the you know physical hardware or the networking protocol or the channel has changed. But I feel fundamentally a lot of the things are the same. And I do like to uh, speak to particularly women engineers. I know we're here at Grace Hopper with all the amazing young women that are coming into the tech industry. And we need more and more and more of them that uh, these are the kind of principles that make for good engineers. Automate everything, microservices, test everything fully, uh, be able to run in in any kind of uh, place or infrastructure, be agnostic to your infrastructure. Technology is going to change every three years all the time. So these kind of good coding disciplines and engineering disciplines are ever-present, and I I don't honestly think that they've changed over the years. I think yeah. things around us have changed, what kind of languages, et cetera, that I've said, but I don't think the fundamentals of being uh, in tech and being a woman in tech have really changed. Mm-hmm. In terms of the the impact of technology in the financial industry, can you talk a bit about this, what it has led to? I'm really proud to work for a company that has a belief in doing well by doing good using technology. So I feel like technology started for us as the enabler uh, to make the payment products that we've created with our franchise and, and all the things that the rules and the consistency that I've said technology has become really important for that and to make it safe and to make it uh, scaled and, and global and seamless and work the same way every way everywhere in the in the world but we also are able to use technology to really advance lives of people and do good in the world if you think about financial inclusion by example our prepaid products are something that's really helpful in the financial inclusion effort you know there are people around the world that have not ever had a bank account you know we have 6 7 billion people on the planet but only a billion have access to financial uh, funds and 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 bank accounts and we've been able to really help evolve that with some of the technology and the things that we have we can offer services and partnerships with people like the American Red Cross where we can go and help evolve the financial well-being of people who are perhaps underprivileged or haven't had access to that. We can tell the farmer in India who has never had access to what the value of his crop is through technology advancements with mobile phones, we've been able to uh, bring information. The world has been able to bring information to the farmer of what the value of their crop is to really you know, be able to evolve their own financial uh, health and well-being. So I'm really excited and thrilled about the doing good in the world and sort of paying it forward through the company's work of financial inclusion and really the bringing women into the technology workforce because we need 
a lot of women in technology to really change our future and yeah. change their own future. Yes, yes, definitely. I want to talk now about the leadership aspects of your career. Like we were talking earlier, you joined MasterCard in the late 80s. You were a programmer doing this very detailed systems, resilient. Then eventually you become executive vice president. Throughout this trajectory, what have been some important qualities that you've noticed that you've developed as a leader? Yeah, started off as a programmer, fast forward, executive vice president running the whole network. Yeah. There were a lot of things in between there. And one of the things that I learned is take risks. My career started in engineering and started in technology, which was my education. And about the first 10 years... I feel like I mastered that trade. I was working on mastering that trade. I worked in, in programming. I worked on a lot of different things that we have had back then and continue and have expanded since that time. But then something happened in my career that was kind of a game changer for me, which was they asked me to go and work in the product organization. And I said, what are you talking about? I'm a software engineer. I'm not a product person. But they had, you know, confidence in me and said, you know, I think you should go do, I think you can go do this. We need you to do this. Kind of was a rhetorical question. Would you like to run the product organization? So I did, but I thought to myself, I never have done any of this or run any of this. But I learned taking risks is really a good thing. Doing something that you feel a little challenged in doing, maybe you don't feel um, qualified to do, have that sort of imposter uh, theory feeling as, as a lot of uh, folks do as they take on different jobs. But that particular job, moving from being a software engineer and working in the technology world to being in the product discipline, then led to so many different kinds of jobs and opportunities. I think I've held every job that there is to, to have in the company of being a product person, a marketing person. I was a consulting organization. I was a finance person uh, for our organization. I worked in mergers and acquisitions, um, ran in the strategy world. Now I run the network globally for the company. And I feel like taking risks and doing something that you're not uh, feeling quite so comfortable to do was a really... Something I feel like helped in my leadership and I think made me more valuable and made the you know, company more valuable to be able to use different skills. So that's one thing I would say. Uh, there's quite a few things that I like to say about leadership qualities, but I think that's one of the big ones. What about in terms of building a good team and a good culture? What are some of the, the things that, that you like to consider? I think particularly in the technology world, which all of us are in now, I feel like every company is a technology company and I feel like everybody needs to have some technology prowess and capability. But in that particular industry, I think it's really important to have a culture of blamelessness. You know, with technology, things go wrong. As I said, infrastructure will fail. Human beings will make mistakes. These are givens in life. And I think it's important to bring a team together, say we are all in this together. We all bring our different disciplines to the table. It takes all the disciplines, whether it's a, an analyst or an architect or a software engineer or a quality testing engineer or an automation expert, a network, all the different disciplines that it takes to both build and run good offerings. You have to have that unified team structure. 
And blamelessness is a, is a core to that, where we're all in it together, and it's no any one individual's fault of anything that goes wrong or how you think about stuff. So I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. I also feel it's really important, and perhaps my style is a very direct style, very honest, uh, forthcoming style to sort of, you know, call it as it is and say what's on uh, what the really reallys are about the situation and really being able to uh, work through that together as a team. Oftentimes I'll say, we're going to all hold hands as a team uh, towards this thing. Sometimes I actually make everybody hold my hand as we move forward. Earlier you're highlighting the importance of having more women in this industry. And I know that you're a lead mentor at Girls for Tech, which is a STEM program run specifically by MasterCard. Can you talk about what Girls for Tech is? Yes. Girls for Tech is MasterCard's signature program to help expose girls targeting the middle school age, about 8 to 12 years old, to different technology capabilities, skills, careers, curriculum. We know that girls about that age start to drop out and get disinterested in STEM, and that's a real devastating thing to happen in the world because there's going to be so many more tech jobs out there than there are going to be qualified uh, kids of any flavor to uh, that come out of schools with the skills and capabilities so girls for tech is really aimed at keeping girls interested in stem by showing them they have the abilities the different kinds of skills that it takes and what kind of different jobs there are in technology a lot of people will think it's just about being a coder now there's nothing wrong with that i started as a software engineer but uh, it's not just about software engineer there's lots and lots of different things that you can do and somewhere along the way becoming a software engineer has become a boy thing i'm not exactly sure how that happened but we need to show these girls that uh, they can do it mm -hmm. they have the skills to do it they need to stay in science and math in order to uh, continue to uh, gain more and more skills and that there's lots of things they can do. Yeah, exactly. And in general, I also think that even if it's not just for the coding, they gain this technical vocabulary that, you know, can help understand, you know, how decisions are made, you know, in other industries and, you know, have a voice of questioning how certain things are implemented because they'll be versed in what happens behind the scenes, I think. I think that's definitely true. And like I said, I think every company is becoming a tech company and certainly tech dependent, if not tech savvy as a company. And so that's the future. I saw that you credit your mother as a mentor and inspiration. And she rose out of poverty by earning a degree in nursing and becoming one of the first nurse practitioners. Can you talk about the influence your mother had on you and your trajectory? I can. My mother was an amazing, accomplished woman. She was very poor as she grew up, and probably like Scarlett O'Hara, decided she was never going to be poor again. I'm not sure, but she was a real amazing mentor to me. She went to school, became a nurse. That wasn't normal. You know, going to college and getting a college degree at the time my mother grew up was really not a normal thing for women, I think, of her time. And she went to school, got, became a registered nurse, worked in the nursing field for quite some time, but she decided it wasn't enough for her. And uh, I found that really striking when I was young and, and watching my mother, and she wanted to do more. She wanted to learn more. She was a big-time learner, and she decided she wanted to be a nurse practitioner. Well, there was not really 
such a thing. It was just emerging as a career. And there was thousands of people that wanted to enter this program that my mother entered. I think they accepted maybe uh, 15 people or so, and my mother was one of them. And she became very successful at being a nurse practitioner, and I, I was always inspired by that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like my mother was a woman of science and learning and hardworking. And she always told me when I grew up, I, I always felt like I could do anything I wanted to do. I never felt constrained or that there were limits on me. I always knew I had to work hard. I knew I had to give it everything that I had. She used to tell me, Dana, when you're working, you are there for that company and you're there to do good in the world for the company. That's not your personal time. That's your time to really do something big and work for the company that uh, is employing you. And I just remember that. My father was also an inspiration as well. He was in astronautics, actually. He was an astronautical engineer. And I often say, you know, my dad was in astronautics for the entire U.S. space program. He worked on the Mercury capsule all the way up to the space shuttle. He developed the aft propulsion system, is what he developed, which is the thing that moves the space shuttle around in, in uh, different directions. And I think to myself, what better career than being an astronautical engineer during the U.S. space program? But then I think, my career. Yeah. I've worked in payments being a woman in technology from the get-go when payments really just was really evolving. You know, MasterCard started as a probably small little U.S. credit card company. It's become an amazing company in the world. Exactly. Like you were in the very early days of it. And like you said, now it has impacted a lot of people and led to this financial inclusivity. It's huge. It is huge. And uh, there's so much to do in the world that we can do. And I'm really very passionate about sharing that with girls because I just feel like there's so much women can do. And I don't want them ever to feel constrained or limited uh, because you don't have to be. Definitely. Well, Dana, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you. It's been my real pleasure. Thank you for having me.